Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's our privilege to be in this school, and we know that whenever we're gathered together, you are with us, and so we're grateful for your presence in our lives, we're grateful for the love that you have for every person in this room and for us as a group. We know that the love you have for us goes way beyond what we can even understand or put our minds around, uh, but your presence with us reminds us that no matter where we go, no matter what we're doing, you're there. And so I pray that you'd remind us today of your great love for us as we look at your scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing a series called uh, Reconnecting or Connecting with God. And we're talking today a little bit about how each one of us is designed to connect with God a little bit differently. So we're going to talk about the unique ways that each of us connect with God and how it is that, um, that you can practice that in your own life on a day-to-day -day basis in order to really rejuvenate and reconnect with God who loves you. Uh, I want to start by inviting you to think about someone you love that you've loved for a while. So like not the person you met yesterday that you fell in love with, but people that you've known for a little while. So it could be uh, a parent, could be a friend, it could be a child, could be a sibling, um, you might imagine that you love your siblings, even if you don't love your siblings. Do you think you don't? Could be spouse. You know, th just get somebody in your mind that you know you've loved for more than a week. Okay, you got it. All right. Now think about the ways in which you have learned to love that person differently over time. Okay. Think about how you maybe loved them early on in your relationship, and how that shifted. All right. And while you're thinking about that. I want to tell you an embarrassing Michael Bender story about how I used to express love to my now wife that I don't anymore. Okay? Are you ready? She doesn't know I'm going to do this, and she hates this moment right now. So there's sympathy for her. So Carissa was in this dorm room when we were dating in college, and it was tall, uh, and she lived on the all-women's floor, which was a hard place to meet guys. And so she, when I would drop her off from dates... This is hard for me to admit, because it's, it's embarrassing. But you know the infatuation stage, right, where you do dumb stuff? You are the most unsympathetic people. <laughs> I know you've done dumb stuff in relationships. Don't look at me like that. Okay, so I used to drop her off, and my dorm room was like down the block from hers, and I would walk backwards. See? <laughs> it worked on her, too. Yeah, I would, got, yeah, young men, good tip, Isaac. W walk backwards so that I could see her all the way back to my dorm room. Isn't that, that's very romantic. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, now I've known Carissa for almost 18 years. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I no longer walk backwards. Like, if we were to put three children to bed, which we do now, every night, and at 8 o'clock, I just opened the front door at 2656 Garfield Street and was like, honey, goodbye, and walked backwards down the street to Trevor's house where we played video games, she wouldn't think, that's, she wouldn't think that was as romantic, right? That wouldn't be the same. Okay, so here's the point of the dumb story. The, the point is that you learn to love people differently over time, and in any relationship where you're trying to be especially if you're trying to be good. Sometimes when we're 
working with couples in premarital, we say, look, your job when you get married to somebody is to become an expert at loving this person. You're a professional at loving this person. You know, you know who they are. You know how they like to be loved, and you try to learn to love them well. Over time, in any relationship, the way you love somebody that's significant to you will change. And the same thing is true about our relationship with God. That when Jesus says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, uh, it means that you are going to learn to love God and you're going to experience God's love for you, but that's going to change over your lifetime. It's not going to stay the same. And sometimes we get stuck. Stephanie was alluding to this last week in her sermon. Sometimes we get stuck in our relationship with God in part because maybe we're still trying to love God the same way that we were loving God 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 20 years ago. In a sense, we're like sort of still doing the backwards walk and wondering why it's not working anymore. And, and what I want to say to you today and give you some tools to, to understand is to say, how do we learn to love God in different ways as we mature in our relationship with loving, with loving God? And so if you feel stuck in connecting with God, it might be one possibility is that uh, you need to learn to express your love for God in a way that maybe you haven't done before. Uh, maybe your relationship has matured to the point to the way in which you have learned to express love for God doesn't fit you as well as it used to be. And, and that can be unsettling, that can be disturbing, because maybe you've associated having a quiet time with a scripture for half an hour as the way that proper Christians love God, and anyone who doesn't do it that way is not expressing love for God, and it might be that there's a different way for you to express your love for God that will be just as fulfilling or more fulfilling, and the form of wit in which we love God can sometimes, uh, when we change that, be hard for us to shift. And so uh, I want to talk today about how we learn to love God day in and day out through all the seasons of life. Over the whole of your lifetime, how are we going to learn to love God? And so we're going to look at a scripture in Psalm chapter 145 in order to kind of get at the way in which David describes his love for God and some of the ways in which he has evolved in his way of expressing love to God. And then we're going to talk particularly about uh, what I'm going to call nine love languages for engaging with love for God. And you can figure out which one maybe fits you best. So if you want to turn your Bible to Psalm 145, uh, we're going to start there. One thing that's cool about this psalm that you can't see in English is that it be, each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's an acrostic poem. And so when you read it in Hebrew, it starts with the beginning of the alphabet and ends with the end. And part of the reason to write a poem like that is to express the totality of of the content that he's trying to get across. He's trying to say, this psalm encompasses all of God's creation. It starts at the beginning and it ends at the end. And it means to describe what worship ought to be like for all of us towards the God of the universe. And so it has that kind of uh, big feeling to it, this grandeur that David builds into this psalm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you. Listen particularly for ways in which you see David saying, this is why I love God and also for hints as to how he tries to express that love for God. So listen for how it, or why it is that David loves God, 
and particularly how he expresses his love for God. Here's Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So this is the last psalm that's written by David in the book of Psalms. There's, a, there's just a handful more. It begins this section of the book of Psalms that is all about praising God. And, and this is David's attempt to say, here's why we all praise God, all of us, for all that God has done, all that God is, and all of God's creation. David says some of the reasons why he loves God. So if you think of picking out a greeting card, if you ever go to Target, try to pick out a greeting card, and you're trying to find the one that says the thing that you want to say, or you don't really know what you want to say, and you're hoping someone else has written it down better than you could have said it, right? And they will take your $5 if you find the one that says the thing that you want it to say. David is trying to write down why it is that he loves God. And I think one of the most important and fundamental questions we need to continue to ask ourselves is, what is it we actually love about God? Why do we love God? Church can become about a lot of things. Faith can become a lot, about a lot of things. Religion can become about a lot of things, but at its core, Christian identity is about a love relationship between us and the God of the universe, right? So we ought to be able to say as Christians, this is what we love about God. I like to tell stories about, particular stories about Jesus that highlight for me what I love about Jesus the most. I love when he steps into situations 
and kind of puts experts in their place and highlights the people that everybody else ignored. I love that about him. I love that he steps into those and he's smart and and he knows the law better than everybody else and he kind of puts certain people in their place and he lifts up the people that everybody wants to ignore. I love that about Jesus. Can we as Christians say to other people in regular language, in, in greeting card maybe even, could we write a greeting card that says, this is what I love about God, about Jesus, about God as my father, about the work of the Holy Spirit. David goes on and on here and says, look, the Lord is great because of what the Lord has accomplished. He's taken us out of Egypt. He's given us our own land. David has story after story after story about what God has done in his life, rescuing him from danger time after time after time, blessing him far beyond anything he deserved, forgiving him even though he did some heinous things as the king. He goes on to say, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. Those of you who are a little bit older, you, you anybody remember the Shane Barnard song that is written about this, this psalm, Psalm 145? The Lord is gracious and slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. And I think I've sang that song a thousand times. I don't know how I heard it. It was written, I think, in like 2002 but I was playing it in my car this week again. And just the chorus of it, to try to get a feel for this song that David wrote. It's a song. The Lord is gracious. The Lord's grace is on us. God is desperate to pour out grace on our lives. God is not quick to anger and be upset or frustrated with us. When we talk about God's richness, we talk about God being rich in love because nobody loves like God loves. No one else loves to the point where they offer their own son for forgiveness of the world, right? And God is good to everyone, he says in the psalm. God is good to all of creation, regardless of whether those people are honoring God or not. God is still trying to love them that every single person you meet, regardless of what they think or believe about God, the God of the universe and the spirit of God in the 21st century is still reaching out to these folks and wanting to convince them of how much they're loved and how carefully they were created and how they were designed to love God back. The Lord is good to all, his compassion and all he has made. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords over a kingdom that never ends. One in which all the wrong things are made right. This is how we explain it to the little people that were up here a few minutes ago. So David is trying to write this psalm as a, an expression of love, as a poet, as an artist, as a songwriter, as a musician, to express his love for God and communicate it to other people. He does this by declaring to the people who are his subjects, his king, who God is. He writes songs. He prays out loud. He sometimes dances borderline naked through the street in celebration and worship of God as, the, as they're um, bringing God's presence into their midst. He tells stories. He writes stories. He writes songs. 
He has a whole way of expressing this love for God. It was a regular part of David's life to continually express his love for God in the way that he was designed. And that's really what this psalm is about. We are all made to love God. Everyone in the room was created to love the God of the universe, but we were all created to connect with God in different ways. So how many of you have been exposed to the idea that there are different love languages, that people receive love differently? Five love languages, six, seven, look, everyone, okay. The idea is that everybody receives love differently, and usually most of us try to love people in the way that we wish they would love us, right? It's like dropping endless hints, okay? I know that you want to be loved with gifts, but I'm just going to keep serving you in hopes that you will serve me one day, right? That's most of our strategy. It takes some maturity to get out of that cycle. It's okay. I want to suggest this uh, out of this book that um, Stephanie's been helping us to engage with. Um, a writ- it's a book called Spiritual Pathways by Gary Thomas. Uh, he talks about these different pathways or spiritual temperaments, but I want to just call them nine love languages for the sake of simplicity, okay? He doesn't call them that. I'm calling them that. Nine different ways that we can express love towards God. And I want to describe each one of them to you and help you to see, yeah, maybe this is the way that I most naturally express love for God. And, and the other thing I want you to think about as we talk about these different ways is how the people next to you might express love differently than you. So without some kind of framework for thinking about this, we might expect that everybody loves God the same way, or everybody should love God the same way the pastor does, or children should all love God the same way their parents do. And the truth is that God has designed us to love God differently, and it's helpful to have some language about how those things are different, okay? So I want to just describe these in brief, because I don't have time to go into them in depth, but if you're more interested in digging into it, uh, the book Spiritual Pathways by Gary Thomas is a great resource. And you maybe even got a printout today. Can someone look in their program see, did you get a handout today? That has the pa- okay. So take your hand out out for a second, and in the handout there's uh, a little bit of a, a an assessment, so you can follow along if you want and kind of check off the different boxes to see which one of these categories you might think you fit into best. Okay, the first one I want to describe is called the naturalist. Uh, the naturalist, in this sense, is somebody who connects with God through nature, right? Self-explanatory? So I know that some of you have told me and others, like, when I'm outside, okay, if I'm outside in the city, if I'm out in a park, on a hike, in the mountains, I feel connected to God in a different way. Raise your hand if that's true for you. Okay, lots of you, right? And if you believe that God authored all these things, that God designed the world and created the natural universe, so that when you're out there and you see amazing things or you just see an incredible sunrise, it might be easy for you to go, wow, I really love God because of what God has created. Does that make sense? And maybe some of you have been frustrated as, as naturalists because the regular rhythm of worship is always in here, right? In Minnesota, we have a hard time doing anything outside consistently. So you might come into this school and, and that might even be a bit of a frustration because you know that you've been created and in a way that most naturally connects with God outside. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you that a regular rhythm that you have to have as a, as a person trying to follow Jesus is to get outside. 
and to go on hikes and to go with other people and enjoy the, enjoy the created world uh, and connect with God and express your love for God in that way. The next one on the list is uh, titled a sensate, which is a hard word to even say. But the idea uh, behind this, this uh, category is that these are people who best connect with God and love God through their senses and the appreciation of beauty. Okay? So people who uh, love God by their sight, by, through their hearing, through taste, through feel, through smell, and particularly when they are appreciating something beautiful with their senses. So one way to think about this would be people, if you walk into any space where there's art, okay, or, or if you're a musician and you enter into a space where you can listen to something that someone's written, which, uh, spoiler alert, we get to hear for the first time at Mill City Church, right after I'm done speaking, the Ashish's song that he wrote, the first one that he wrote that he's going to share with us, and he's not going to tell you that, and he's embarrassed by it, and he's not in here right now, so now you're in on the secret. If you're a musician or an artist, and you appreciate beauty, and maybe you appreciate beauty with your senses, then you might fall into this category and say, I feel closest to God, I feel connected to God, I feel the love of God when I'm creating, or when I'm pre appreciating something else that someone has created, and seeing the beauty in it. Anybody want to put themselves in that category? Raise your hand if you want. Yeah, a few of you. The next category are the traditionalists. And these are folks who connect with God through familiar rituals and symbols. And so many of you at Mill City, I know, have grown up with much more liturgical backgrounds in church, where maybe you went to worship in a place that was designed for worship, in a cathedral or in a church that has high ceilings, and that has uh, images on the wall or stained glass, uh, space where you feel closest to God and participating in rituals or liturgies that are familiar, that you, that you do and say consistently over and over, and especially that have depth to them, they have history to them. So you might say, wow, people have been worshiping God like this or praying this prayer for 100 years or 200 years or 500 years. Uh, those of you who maybe appreciate going to a Catholic service uh, worshiping in a cathedral or a basilica or an Anglican liturgy or an Eastern Orthodox tradition, this might be you. you. You feel like I'm at home when I know I'm part of the history of God's people who have been worshiping on and on and on over time. Uh, put your hand up if you think this might be your category. Yeah. Okay, the fourth one is uh, aesthetics. So another hard word to say. But people who find connection and love for God in silence and solitude where there are no distractions, okay? If you're somebody who says, man, it's really hard for me to even come in this room and worship with a whole bunch of people because I connect with God best when I'm just like by myself with nobody bothering me where I can have an honest conversation or read some scripture or do whatever it is that helps me connect with God and love God. Uh, but when, when people are around and when there's noise around, it makes it much more difficult. So these types of folks love to go on retreats. Uh, they like to engage in fasts of various kinds to remove distractions from their lives so they can focus. And they feel closest to God when they're alone without distractions. Raise your hand if you think you're in that category. Yeah, good. Good mix of you. Okay, next one. Um, maybe the other opposite end of the spectrum. The activists. 
people who are, are loving God by confronting injustices. People who sometimes, when, I, when I've uh, talked to these folks, some of you in the room, it's like you can't even make sense of how anybody else could be a Christian and not address the injustices in the world, right? Isn't that how some of you think about it? And so engaging with God or feeling close to God or loving God is, happens best for you when you're seeing something wrong in the world and doing something about it. Whether you're talking to someone about it, whether you're praying about it, whether you're doing a prayer walk and praying for God's justice, whether you're actively participating in something that helps you to uh, undo injustices or you're bringing other people along in that or you're pointing that out in Scripture, you feel closest to God and love for God when you're fighting injustice. Who's that in the room? Yeah, good handful of you. Okay, the next group is, is fairly easy to understand. People who love God by caring for other people. I know there's a lot of you in the room. Caregivers. You feel closest to God when you see God in the needy or the poor or the sick or the impoverished. When you're sitting beside someone who has a need, then you can care for them. You feel God's presence. And you feel connected to God in a way. And you feel love for God in a way. So serving other people is one of the primary ways in which you express your love for God. Raise your hand if you think you're in that category. That's awesome. Okay, a couple more. Uh, the enthusiasts, people who are feeling close to God in the midst of, of celebration. They want energy. They get frustrated when we don't raise our hands here while we're here on Sunday morning. They say, people, we've all gathered here. Put your hand up. We're here. To, we're here. Do you, did you know that our worship leader is an enthusiast? Yeah. He wants us to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, because that's why we showed up today. These are people who find God's love in the midst of celebration, energy, and um, connecting with God by being part of the joy that comes with being in God's presence. They want to move. They want to dance. They want to celebrate what God has done in their lives. I don't think there's very many of us in the room. Yeah? Enthusiasts? Oh, there's four of you, and I know you all. Yeah, okay. Um, contemplatives is the next category. So these are people who feel closest to God when they're meditating on how much God loves them and how much they love God back. There's a long tradition of, of contemplation in the, in the church's history. People who want to get away, so it's kind of like the folks who get away in silence, but they're mostly focused on the intimacy that they feel with God. So they imagine God as Father, or they imagine, uh, they imagine being present with Jesus or the Spirit, and their connection, their relational connection, and the love that they feel in just thinking about that relationship is really what helps them to connect to God. Uh, feeling God's presence is the most important thing for people who are in this category, contemplatives. They want to sense that God is with them. Put your hand up if you're in that category. Thank you. Okay, and finally, uh, the folks who are in the intellectual camp, where you feel closest to God when you're learning something new about God. You don't want a sermon to go by where you don't learn something new. You feel like you understand God better than after you, before you came to worship on that particular day. When your mind is stimulated and you feel like the, your depth of understanding of who God is uh, increases, then you feel connected to God and you feel like you love God. Put your hand up if you feel like you're in that category. 
Yeah, there's a good number of you there too. So if you think of these as nine love languages, um, what I want to say about them is they're not static. So it's not as if you, you pick one and you're there for your whole life. You might have resonated with more than one, and that's just fine. I think Ramon raised his hand for all nine. Thanks, Ramon. Um, it might be that you started in a particular place in your life where you felt like I was really an enthusiast and I would just love to be in this space, and now uh, I'm a contemplative, right? And I've shifted. I want you to see that as uh, maturing, right? Think of it as a love relationship over time. You were made to love God, but you were not made to love God the same way for your whole life. It's going to grow and change. And if you have some language to say, yeah, this is kind of how I'm feeling, like I'm connecting with God differently than before, I want you to just know that's okay, that's normal. It's normal for that relationship to grow and change and for you to embrace new ways to express your love for God. Uh, I want to invite the band to come back up because I'm almost done. One thing that's really important, and I'm, I hope this doesn't come across just as a person who's responsible for helping to create these Sunday worship services, but we can't, maybe this is obvious to you, we can't accomplish all nine of these things on Sunday morning, right? And for some of you, Sunday mornings are going to be a much better fit for your particular way that you connect with God than others. But really what this is emphasizing is that all of us have to have some level of personal devotional life where we connect with God on a daily basis. And, and the way in which we do that has to match up better with the way that you are built to love God. So one of the things I hope you can take away from today is, yeah, man, I, I fall in this caregiver category, and I need to make sure that on a very regular basis I have an opportunity to serve and love other people as a worshipful act. Um, because maybe on Sunday morning that isn't going to happen as consistently. I think we're trying on Sundays to be aware of this and to connect with as many of you as we can and to help you all to express your love for God in that way. But I want to finish today by saying I think maybe one of the harder times to feel connected to God is when things are not going very well. And just in this last season, I know for a, a good number of you in this church, You've been through some really hard stuff. Um, whether it's connected to the doubting that Stephanie, Pastor Stephanie, talked about last week, or maybe there's just been some circumstances or illnesses or other relational challenges, work challenges that have been in your life. And I think that's, those are the moments where we most need to turn towards God and connect with who God is. Even though that might be the time where it feels like God feels the most silent, it's also the time uh, that we need to connect together and lean on each other to help us to turn towards God, not away from God, in those moments. So this song that we're about to sing, which you probably can set up much better than I, but they know something that you don't know. Okay. Um, as we sing this next song that Ashish wrote, uh, I hope that for those of you who feel like maybe God has been silent or things have been really hard and you've been struggling to connect with God, that the voices of, of the people in the room will help you to realize God is still with you and we are still with you. And when it feels like you can't do it on your own, God is still there. God is still constant and we're here to support you. Let me pray before we sing.
Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you built us all differently, but that you designed all of us to love you. And so we come before you today, and of all the different things that are happening in our lives, of all the things that are clamoring for our attention, we want to express from our hearts that it's our desire to love you with everything we have, with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, with our whole strength. We want to express our love to you, and we want to receive the love that you have back to us, even when it's hard. We reach out to you this morning, God, ask you to connect with us, remind us of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you'll go out this morning just being reminded how much God loves you. No matter whether you felt really far away or very close, God is with you. And try one, one way this week, according to the natural way that you connect with God, to express your love back to God as you go about your week. Thank you. God bless you for being here. Have a great day. Thanks for being with us.